next week. Sign-up sheet will be available next week. And any questions, see Melinda Carroll. And Gail and I will be, we're going to take a vacation, so we'll have to miss that meeting, and I really regret that. The Catfish Cabin is one of my favorite places. Sunday, April the 10th, fellowship meal and egg hunt after morning service. Egg, egg hunt will begin at 2 p.m. Thursday, May the 12th, 6.30 to 8.30, movie night with popcorn and bouncy houses. And Thursday, June the 23rd, Sunday, June the 26th, this is for the ladies, the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. You, the ladies can bring the husbands? Okay. <laughs> and I haven't experienced that, but the people that I know have been there really uh, talk about it. And I'd like to personally thank all the men that showed up Thursday for the tree trimming and the wood cutting and uh, we all got a really good workout and I'm sure sure there was a lot of sore muscles on Friday I know I, I have still have some so but the men did a really good job and if you when you leave here if you drive around the back of the church you can see what we did we opened that up and it uh, looks a lot better any more announcements? Let us worship. Well, I'd like to ask if folks are in, in our, our little singing group out there are going to uh, come over and practice with us this week. We're going to see if we can make this a regular thing, you know. We, we learn the same stuff anyway, so... Anyway, uh, if you're, we need we need warm bodies up here, you know. And if you can't sing, you just come up here and move your lips. That'll be fine too. Okay, we'll work on the other part of it as we go along. Anyway, let's uh, sing 2037. I sing praises to your name. Let's stand as we sing, please. I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, and your name. Great. 
prone to wander, as the hymn says, Lord, we know it. We come to you as those who desperately need your touch, who need to know that we are loved beyond measure, who need to know that there is a solution to the problems of this world. There are answers to the questions that we deal with. There are times that faith can move mountains, but sometimes that faith, God chooses to move us and to change us. So regardless of where we are this day, regardless of whether we come with a heart full of joy or with a heart full of sadness, help us to worship you. Help us to join together and to sing praises to your name. We ask it, Lord, in your name and for our sake, and together we say, amen. amen. I invite you to join with me in the Apostles' Creed as we begin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, God in the beginning, now and ever shall be, world without end. Good morning. Boy, I wish everyone on the radio could see how much money I made in Sunday school today. I made a lot, didn't I? What did we learn about today? What was his name? Do you remember? Zacharias. Ah, close. It's a hard name. Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus climbed down in a hole. Is that what he did? He climbed up a tree, right? And he wanted to see who? Jesus. Jesus, right. And so what did our money have to do with it? I taught you a little bit about taxes, didn't I? So Zacchaeus had a tax sign, and it said, collecting three coins for the Roman army, right? And Zacchaeus decided that he was going to be over-enthusiastic and charge eight coins instead, right? So everyone made 20 coins for coming to Sunday school today, and I ended up taking all but two, didn't I? And I made a lot of money today. But... Then we learned about how Zacchaeus climbed down out of the tree when Jesus called him by name. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, and we're going to eat at your house today. And all the other people were a little bit jealous and mad at Zacchaeus, and they're like, oh, Jesus going to eat with a sinner? But Jesus knew, God, uh, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' heart, right? 
And so he went to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus' heart was changed. Zacchaeus stood up in front of all of his guests at his banquet, and he said, I'm sorry for what I did. I know that Jesus is Lord, and he has come into my heart and changed my life. And I'm going to take all of my riches, and I'm going to divide them in half, and I'm going to give half to the poor. And everyone that I took extra taxes from, I'm going to give it back to them, and then some. So did Jesus come into Zacchaeus' heart? He changed his heart. He cleaned him and made him new, didn't he? And so what do we need to do to be like Zacchaeus? Do we need to be open to listening to God? Mm -hmm. Do we need to be obedient and enthusiastic like Zacchaeus was? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said, hop down out of that tree, and Zacchaeus did it right then, didn't he? So. You're right. He did it as quickly as he could. And so that's what we need to be like, right? We need to be open to hearing God's word, and we need to be ready to listen, and more importantly, to obey and do what we're called to do, right? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We are thankful for all the children who came to church, and we pray that their families will be blessed. We pray that this church will be blessed and will continue to grow, and we pray for all the people who desire to be like Zacchaeus today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, who throughout these 40 days for us did fast and pray, teach us with thee to mourn our sins and close by thee to stay. Abide with us that so this life of suffering overpassed and Easter of unending joy we may attain at last. Amen. We're going to be reading from uh, page 766 in the hymnal, Psalms 30, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When I did not declare my sin, my body wasted away, though my groaning through my groaning all day long. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. Therefore, let those who are godly offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of great waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You encompass me with deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like an unruly horse or mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle. Many are the pains of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Hear the prayers of the people this day. We lift up those who come to gleaners in need of help. 
We lift up Noah's Ark ministry. Craig is having knee surgery. Craig Casey is having knee surgery on Wednesday. Uh, Lloyd Watkins, Ashley Carroll, and the people of Tanzania. There was a bad vehicle accident last night. I don't know any details. Continue to lift up Marilyn Upright, Harold James, Janice Vaughn, John Dunn, the military, our world leaders, Charlotte and Candy Blankenship, and we give thanks for the kids in Sunday school. Are there any others you would add this day? Dr. Warman Campbell, Mr. Ed Morris. Okay, Patsy Steed. Are there any others? Yes, the people of the Ukraine. Carried, okay. Carried down. That's Judy's daughter. Are there any others? Okay. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that care she has been carried to the emergency room would be given care that she will be taken care of, that your hand of grace and mercy will fall upon us and would fall upon her in a mighty way so that she will know that you are present in her life. We ask for healing for every name that has been lifted up. We ask, Lord, that every situation, every circumstance would be made known. We know that you already knew, but we ask, Lord, that we would be made aware so that we might pray one for the other. We ask, Lord, those who are in the accident, the vehicle accident, whatever that circumstance might be, that they would be comforted if there has been loss, that they would be healed if there has been hurt. And we ask, Lord, in every situation of thanksgiving, that we give thanks for our children who are here this day, who are here this day. We give thanks that you have had your hand of protection over the Ukraine you were using, I believe, the Ukraine as an example of what people who are sold out can do, what people who are invested in freedom can do. And so, Lord, help us to use that as an example. Help us to be lifted up by the example of those who, with little of nothing, are standing firm against transgressions and evil. Help us, Lord, this day to pray together the way you taught your disciples to pray, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would our ushers come forward at this time? Lord, bless us. We have not done anything to deserve the abundance you've given us. Sometimes we live in such a way as if there is no tomorrow giving no thought to what you have blessed us with. But out of these blessings, we ask that we would give back in our tithes and offerings in this place to support the ministry here in this community and the world around us, and it might be used to glorify your name. And together we say, Amen.
please, would you sing in your doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, remain standing if you're able and let's sing guide me O thou great Jehovah cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, come and quench this thirsting of my soul, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more, fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, Come and quench this thirsting in my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. Please be seated. cross. The cross is 
an iconic symbol. But in some ways, the cross was also an ironic symbol. The cross was the most horrific, the most horrible, the most reviled and feared form of punishment that the Roman Empire could come up with. The cross was a deterrent to crime because the very thought of being hung on a cross was horrifying to anyone of any intelligence whatsoever. Those who were hung on the cross were humiliated, they were debased, they were jeered at, they were laughed at. It was literally the very worst punishment that the Roman Empire could come up with. And the Romans were well practiced in war and death and humiliation and debasement and destruction. But now we sing of, I cling to the old rugged cross. We sing fondly of the old rugged cross. I would say that in a crowd of this size that there would be three to four, maybe more, who are wearing right now a cross as a form of jewelry. We know the Red Cross. In the fighting in Ukraine, we have seen the symbols of the Red Cross, which stands out in the world as an organization of peace that seeks to bring healing and emergency relief to those who are hurting and to war zones and disaster areas. People take the cross, they tattoo it on their bodies. So what changed? What changed the cross from an instrument of death and destruction and debasement and humiliation? What changed it from that to something that we celebrate, something that we love, something that we hold on to, something that we cling to? Quite simply because Jesus embraced the cross. He gave his life for you and for me, not that we deserve it, not that any of us could ever deserve it, but he gave his, cry, his life willingly on the cross for you and me. And through the cross, he defeated the power of sin and death, and he rose again victorious. We're on a journey towards the cross, and then we're moving past the cross through Saturday to an empty tomb. We're actually on a journey. We're on a journey to move through the season of Lent, to move through the cross with our faces set resolutely, as it says of Jesus moving towards Jerusalem. Our faces set resolutely towards an empty tomb. Today is the fourth Sunday of Lent. Passion Week begins in two weeks on Palm Sunday. And Good Friday and Easter Sunday follow on the 17th of the month. So my question is this. Are you ready for Easter? I'm not talking about Easter the way many of us remember it being celebrated. I remember a time when Easter was, if no other time during the year, a time that you really dressed up. As my grandmother used to say, I never understood what this meant. You dressed to the nines. I don't know exactly what. I thought dressing to the tens would be better. But dressing to the nines and hats. Oh, my goodness, were there hats on Easter. You would sit. I remember being a young man, which has been a long time ago, but I remember being a young man and trying to see the preacher, and I would have to do this because the lady in front of me would keep moving her head and her hat was so large that it would block my sight. We don't see hats much anymore. But are you ready for Easter? And what I mean by that is are you ready to confront the reality of what sin has caused? Are you ready to be renewed, to have a renewed desire to live a life of holiness and joy and peace and love for a God who's done so much for us? 
Are you ready to celebrate life over death, forgiveness over condemnation, freedom over slavery, hope over despair, fellowship with God over separation from God, and the empty tomb over the sight of Jesus hanging on a cross? There's a lot to celebrate, and it's coming upon us. So we're in the midst of the journey. We're in the fourth week of Psalm 51. And normally, I would take Psalm 51, and I would have preached about Psalm 51 and encapsulate in that sermon, hopefully, the key points of the entire psalm. But this time, we've done something differently. We've moved kind of slowly, which for me is unusual. I, I usually resemble a ricochet rabbit more than I remember a, uh, resemble a tortoise. But I wanted to move slowly in Psalm 51 because there's so much to glean from that, those words, to mine from what is said there by David. It's been a journey of confronting sin in our lives so that we can live in victory. How many of us enjoy confronting the sin in our lives? Raise your hand. That's right. I don't want to raise my hand either because I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. It's not fun to look in the mirror and to realize that you are a sinner saved by the grace of God because it's humbling. It's deconstructing. It causes you to rethink who you are and what you are. So we've been studying Psalm 51 as a guide. And here's a quick review. If you were taking notes or you want to get ready for the grand final, which will be on Easter, uh, there will be a three to five double space size 12 new, uh, times New Roman font. I'll expect you to turn that. No, I'm just kidding. Of course I don't expect that. But what I do hope is that you have mentally, if not physically, made some notes that you can kind of refer back to. That when you hear Psalm 51 20 years from now, you might remember something like, do you remember that weird little preacher we had there for several years? Okay, he preached on this. I remember it, and then I remember some stuff that he said. So let me give you some kind of encapsulated and outline of Psalm 51. Step one was an orientation four weeks ago to Lent. What is Lent? Lent is a time of examination. It's a time that we look inwardly. We look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what are we doing? What should we be doing? What could we be doing? And we talked about how God's hatred of sin is a direct manifestation of his love for us. And I ask you to say that or think of that several times. God's hatred of sin is a direct manifestation of his love for us. God hates sin not just because he hates sin. That would be sufficient reason. But God hates sin quite simply because he sees what he does for us. He sees how it tears us apart, how we are eaten up from the inside out, how our lives change for the worse because of sin in our lives. <clears throat> and we talked about the background of David's sin with Bathsheba. And then step two, we talked about the conviction of sin. We talked about altar calls. We talked about we used to see altar calls. We used to have altar calls. And we used to see people coming down under conviction. And that's kind of a church term. So somebody out in the world might go, under conviction, what, what, they were found guilty, what? Well, actually, yes. They would come to the altar out of conviction, having examined themselves and realized that they were sinners and there were things that they needed to get turned loose from and things that they needed to be taken out of bondage to and they would give over to God at the altar those things that they had become convicted by. They would beg for cleansing and washing from sin. And then step three, we looked at that last week. Step three, verses three and six, they're hard verses. They constitute taking a fearless look at our old sinful nature, which we all have, 
and give words to the grief and agony that each follower of Christ should have over the presence of sin in their life. If we don't have that grief and agony, if we don't look at the sin in our lives and be driven almost to our knees, if not to our knees and in tears and realizing that we are sinners, if we don't recognize that and know that, then there's something seriously wrong with our love for Jesus Christ. And then we come to today. We take the next step. And the road begins to get a little easier. The focus turns from the ugliness of sin to when you leave this morning, I hope you will have experienced or at least have more knowledge of the incredible beauty of God's forgiveness. So first of all, we want to step out of death. Uh, the movement from verses 3 to 5 in this next section is wonderful. There's no denial. There's no minimization of sin. The confession is complete. And now the next step, we make a step out of sin into the light of God's word. And it's just as complete. And it's really beautiful and it's full of energy and optimism and longing and anticipation of new life and joy and restoration. Listen, starting in verse 6. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my separate heart. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And this has been the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We looked at verse 6 last week. We took 3 through 5 and then kind of separated out 6 and dealt with it individually. And verse 6 marks a change from what David sees in his heart, which is sin, to his realization as to what God wants. It's a deep heart level transformation. He sees that God wants not hiding things, not pretending things are fine, God wants truth and wisdom, and that deep down at the core of his being, there is a work of God that has to happen in David's life and in our life to replace sin and to place sin and death with beauty and life, and it's something that only God can do. And then God does his part. When we honestly confess our sin before God, when we say, God, I'm a sinner, I'm saved by the grace of God, but I am still a sinner, and I need you in my life more than anything else. God does his part, and we're going to see in the verses that follow that we honestly confess it before God, and then there are two parts, our part and God's part, but they're deeply interconnected. If we minimize or ignore our sin, or we just kind of casually mention blanket forgiveness for our sins, you know those kind of sins and those kind of prayers, Lord, forgive me for the sin in my life. We don't specify. We don't really look deep inside our hearts. We're just saying, Lord, forgive us. We know we've probably got some small sins hanging around. So, Lord, just forgive us. That's not what God wants. God wants us to zero in on, to bear down on with a laser-like focus and to say, God, here is a sin that I have discovered in my life. I freely confess it. I give it over to you. We have to name our sin and allow ourselves to see the death that sin brings to us. And we have to make sure that God understands that we are admitting that we are full of sin. And then sometimes, though, we put our hands over our ears when God is trying to speak. You know, remember when you were a child? Nah, 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 I can't hear you. So we put our hands over our ears and we pretend that we can't hear God. Or even worse, it's kind of like getting in a shower. Can you imagine getting in the shower and you've been working all day and you're hot and you're sweaty and you stink to high heaven as the saying goes and you turn on the shower and this little drop 
of water comes out. Just kind of a little bitty stream. It's not a big blast of nice hot water. It's just kind of a little stream. And so you run around under that and you try to get clean, but you can't because there's not enough of it. In reality, God wants to do something much more profound and much more beautiful and much more transformational than that. He wants to cleanse and wash and rejoice. Hear that one more time. God wants to cleanse. He wants to wash and then together with you, he wants to rejoice. Verse 7 paints a picture. It talks about transform, transformational change. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Do you know what hyssop is? Most of you know exactly what it is. It's a plant. It's a small plant. And it's more familiar, really, from anywhere else than in the uh, bondage being broken, and the children of Israel being set free in Exodus. In Exodus 12, 22, it says this. The best example I, I think that we can find, it says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you should go out of the door of your house until morning. Now, there are other purification rites that also involve dipping hyssop in blood and sprinkling it. It reminds me of Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And that reminds me once again of the cross of Jesus. What happened on the cross God's blood through Jesus Christ was shed on the cross. Now, when we think about it, that's, pretty a, that's a pretty gross imagery. We think about the cross, that's pretty upsetting. It's pretty life-changing and transformational. When we look at the cross and we realize what has happened on the cross, but we also look at the imagery of hyssop that's talked about in Exodus, and we realize that what God is saying, we're asking God to dip a plant into the blood of Christ and sprinkle it on us. That's graphic, and, but it has a glorious result. It says if we do that, if we undergo that, we shall be made clean. Now, this cleansing is a spiritual cleansing. It's a declaration in the sight of God that we are now spiritually clean, that the defilement of sin has been dealt with by the blood of the Lamb of God, and so now we are completely, totally, 100% clean. But in the imagery, we have to be left with blood on our faces because if someone took a branch of hyssop and sprinkled blood, it's not going to wash us completely clean. It's going to kind of stick on us. And so we have to do it again, and to do it again, and do it again. There used to be a saying that the biggest lie band directors told was one more time, because it was always more than one more time. It was always, in my case, that really meant ten more times. But it's the same thing with cleansing. We can't go to God once and say, God, I confess all my sins. I never have to talk to you again. It's all done. I'm clean. I'm pure. Never have to worry about it again. It's an ongoing process that we ask God for forgiveness of the sin that is in our life. We pause to imagine what it's like to be taken with a branch of hyssop and washed with blood. But then let's talk about the purity that comes from that. How does that happen? Well, let me give you a mental image for just a moment. Do you remember whom whiter than snow? We talk about being purer than snow, whiter than snow. Do you remember as a child waking up on those rare moments when it snowed outside? Now, I don't know about you, but I seem to imagine maybe it was reality. Maybe I just dreamed it or hoped for it. But it seems like it used to snow more than it does now. I remember waking up and I would hear mom or dad say, it snowed last night. And I'd run to the window and I'd pull the window curtains back. And usually it was warm in the house, thank goodness. And it was cold outside and so there would be fog on the glass. And so I would take my hand and I would wipe and I would look. And everything had been transformed. Everything was different. What used to be an old building was now a tower of white. What used to be a tree was a crystal sculpture. What used to be a yard was a blanket of snow. What used to be the doghouse now looked like a castle made out of snow. 
and we looked and everything was clean and everything was pure and everything was white. And that's what is being talked about. Everything is clean and fresh and pure. That's what our hearts look like after God forgives us. The results begin in verse 8. We are made new again. The bones that we crushed rejoice. And where there was misery, there's no joy and gladness. It's expressed as something ahead. It's a hope. It's a promise. It's a party and a celebration of renewal and goodness. The purity of heart that comes with cleansing and forgiveness reopens the door into that place of joy and gladness and rejoicing. It's like being welcomed back into the feast of God and knowing that we completely, 100% belong at this feast which has been thrown by God himself. And there's a rhythm in verses 9 and 12. The rhythm is not what we think of in, in our poetry. We think of it, uh, our poetry as rhyming. Not necessarily in this case, the poetry is negative to positive. Negative to positive. From verses 9 through 12, verse 9 is negative. Hide your face, which is followed by verse 10, which is positive. Create in me a new heart. Verse 11 is negative. Do not cast me from your presence. Verse 12 is positive. Restore to me the joy. Now, we spent a lot of time over the last three weeks looking at, talking about, hearing about sin. Nobody enjoys that, least of all I, because usually by the time I preach it to you, I've been beating myself up for two weeks, and nobody really likes to be told they're a sinner. It's a truth. It's a fact of life. We can't change that except through the grace of God, but we don't like hearing about negative realities. Well, the negative reality of sin exists so today I want to kind of offset that by focusing on some of the positive imagery and messages in verse 10 through 12 quickly. There's a prayer in verse 10. It expresses longing for my own self and for you. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's a prayer for God to reach down in our heart and to touch us, to reach into a heart that was dark and stained by sin and to replace it with something pure, a heart of love and a heart full of goodness and purity, we want to take that guilt that we talked about last week and the week before and the week before and remove it completely. What a great trade that is. And it's something that only God can do. So my question is this. Do you long as I do for a time in our life when we are set free, when we're no longer bound, we are broken free? And the scriptures tell us he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Maybe you'd like to imagine this. Close your eyes. You don't have to, but in your mind of minds, your innermost being, Imagine for just a moment your heart is in your hands. Now, that's kind of an odd imagery, isn't it? That you're holding your heart in your hands. Hopefully, it's still attached or it's pumping blood and everything. We're not ta- we haven't torn it out of our chest. But we're holding our heart in our hands. So what does it look like? Is it hard and black, blackened by sin? Is it covered with scar tissue and it's barely just thump, 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 thump? just barely functioning? Does it look okay on the outside, but on the inside it's diseased and dying? Or maybe your heart's too small and it's not quite big enough to pump the kind of flow of blood that you need to sustain your life and your body. Maybe it's healthy, but it has a few bruise spots. Now, in your imagination, think of the words of the Psalms. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And as the words flow from your mouth and you hear them internalized, 
Imagine the power of God goes to work on your heart. He sprinkles the blood of Christ on a hyssop branch, and he makes it spiritually clean. He washes and makes it whiter than snow, and God touches our heart and makes it pure, and the bones that were crushed rejoice. Our ribs are knit back together. There is great joy and gladness in the God of the universe. I want you to hear this if you hear nothing else. The God of the universe wants to do nothing more than this. And let me give you an aside. Have you ever picked up a small child, and they come running to you, and you pick them up, and you're in such joy that you just twirl them around in a circle. We have a 14-year-old granddaughter, and Janice and I were talking about yesterday. We went to see a, a softball game, a football, well, I'll get it right in a moment, one of those balls, a baseball game. They all look alike to me, Craig. Uh, one of those balls, a baseball game with our grandson, and our 14-year-old granddaughter saw us from afar off. It was kind of like the story of the prodigal son, I guess. And she comes running to us and jumps in her arms. Well, she's 14. She's a pretty good-sized young lady. But it was still, there was something in that feeling of her doing that that just exuberated, caused me to be exuberated, caused me to be filled with joy. That is what the God, the creator, sustainer of the universe wants more than anything else. He wants to hold out his arms and for you to jump up into his arms and you to spin him around and yell, Whee! while he smiles from ear to ear, and the God of the universe embraces you and holds you close and says, why did it take you so long? I've been waiting so, so long for you to come back. And there's something about knowing that the creator of the universe is doing a dance of joy, twirling about with us held in his arms. And that's kind of the start of verse 12. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Take me back to that time that I knew I was saved. When I embraced forgiveness and I passed from death to life, when I knew that the love of God had saved me for eternity and adopted me into the family of God, when I experienced the old is gone and the new has come. There's one more prayer in this verse that I want you to see. In verse 10 and verse 12, it's very similar in both verses. It takes us to the next step. Renew a steadfast spirit within me and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That takes us back to the reality of day by day by day. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's a prayer for help and companionship and determination to remain in this state of purity, to forget sin, to forsake sin, to turn away from sin and choose life, to do so willingly, as we say, grant in me a willing spirit to sustain me. This prayer recognizes one of the great truths about being truly and deeply forgiven and cleansed, that the transformational God who works in us, that transformation he chooses to work in us, includes a change in the way we see sin. Because you see, Satan will have sin look like the greatest thing in the world. Satan will make sure that sin looks like the greatest thing you've ever wanted, whatever that might be, a new car, a new this, a new that, a bigger this, a bigger that. Satan will make sin look like it's, that's what it is. But when the veil is drawn away from that sin, we realize what sin really is, is something that is destructive and ugly and dirty and darkens our hearts and our souls. So when we look at sin, there's a transformation that happens when God forgives us and changes us. When we have a willing spirit to be pure and to forsake sin and choose life, what happens is we look at sin and we realize instead of something beautiful, it's something disgusting. And it hurts us, and it brings death to us. That steadfast, willing spirit we pray for 
keeps us going by growing our love for God and helps us to focus on walking with God day in and day out. Here are verses 11 and 12 again. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore in me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This day, as every day, but this day and this time and this place, God is standing, the creator and sustainer of the universe, and he is smiling from ear to ear because he's holding out his arms and he sees you running to him and he is ready to pick you up and twirl you around and say, welcome home, my child. I thought you would never come. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you and we realize that that's what we've been as sinners. Sinners saved by the grace of God. Sinners who have wallowed in sin. Sinners who have embraced sin, thinking that it was something good and that would give us satisfaction. Instead, what we have found is that same sin has caused us to be lost and wandering and darkened and hurt and bruised and damaged. So, Lord, this day, take us and use us, cleanse us, make us free, set us loose from that bondage, create in us a strong heart, a willing heart, a heart that has been cleansed and made whole again. And we ask, Lord, these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in whose name we pray. And together we say, Amen. Persuaded that he is able.